Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Hey, man, good evening. Ah, good morning, sorry. I'm already waiting for dinner time. How are you? Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, say, I'm glad you're here. Now, if you're sitting next to them, then uh, you either know them or you're about to know them, right? Um, yeah, Dave, good idea for moving. That's, now you're not by yourself. Hey, so you ever have one of those times where your mind just totally and completely blanks? You ever had that happen? You ever had that happen in front of a crowd of people? That's even more fun. It happened this morning, actually. I, I started over at First Baptist, and I, I began the message, and um, I actually did something I wasn't planning on doing, and then I got to the message, and literally my mind just went, Poof, and I couldn't find it. And so I just kind of stumbled, and here's how bad it was. I said something to the effect of, and last week I preached on Jesus. <laughs> no joke, no joke. And then the whole thing, this went downhill from there. But here's the cool part. Um, I'm okay. Because not only do I know that that happens, I know it's going to happen, and it actually is a living testimony of the message today. The message today has to do with you becoming smaller and Jesus becoming bigger. The Bible tells us in John chapter, th- uh, John chapter 3, verse 30, that John the Baptist spoke these words. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. And you know, that speaks to the core of one of the greatest issues that I think every human being has. In fact, Tim Keller writes about this quite a bit. Tim Keller, the pastor of Redeeming Presbyterian in, uh, I believe it's in New York City. Um, He speaks to this quite a bit. And it's the fact that one of the greatest issues that human beings will ever deal with is the issue of identity. Who am I? We've seen this in other writings as well. We saw it when... um, uh, Saddleback, uh, it's happening again. Rick Warren uh, started, uh, uh, wrote a book, it's called Purpose Driven Life, and it begins by dealing with the questions that most people, if not all people, ask. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? I mean, it, it's these fundamental core questions of identity. In the 1940s, I believe it was somewhere around 47, 48, 49, a man by the name of uh, Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, essentially what Viktor Frankl said was this. The people who survived the Holocaust, Viktor Frankl was in the Holocaust. He dealt with, with many of the, uh, uh, the aftermath uh, of the people who were survivors. And, and he wanted to know how did they get through it. And here was the answer. Those who had meaning were able to survive for the most part. And I think that that's a question that you have and that I have. Why are we here? What, what's our purpose? Ultimately, it's a question of What is my identity? Well, today I want to help you to see that your identity is a big deal. And when you figure that out, when you recognize where to find your true identity, it will truly change everything about your life. And if I could even say it this way, perhaps even about your destiny. And I say destiny not in one of those weird ways. Destiny meaning this is why God created you. This is what you were meant to be. This is who you fundamentally are at the core of your being. And so in John chapter 1, we're going to look at the life of a, of a man 
who we know as John the Baptist. Not to be confused with John the Revelator, not to be confused with the author of the Gospel of John. Um, John the Baptist was a blip in human history. He lived a mere 31 years of life. His, his life was, by all, of, by all practical accounts, relatively insignificant. He didn't have some great phenomenal worldwide ministry, and yet he had a great phenomenal worldwide ministry. In fact, if I were to ask you who was the greatest man to ever live, you probably would not say that John the Baptist would be him. I mean, after all, you'd think of some pretty spectacular men, you would, men and women. You, you would think of, of people who had great accomplishments, people who created things, invented things, people whose names are, are spoken of often, people who were preached on perhaps often, people who changed the world. And yet Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11 said these words. He said, of all men born ever to this day, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Just think about that a moment. Jesus himself said John the Baptist had no greater man than had ever been born. Essentially, you could say he was the greatest man that ever lived. And yet he was a man who was relatively insignificant by our standards. The Bible tells us that he lived in the wilderness. He didn't have a home. He lived among the rocks and the trees and the animals. He didn't dress snazzy. He, he wasn't all GQ. He wore camel hair. And he ate locust and honey. We have a, a three-letter word for somebody like this. Bum. It's not a nice word. It's not, it's not something we should call people. But if, if the, the average Joe American was talking about him, they would say, oh, he's just a bum. In fact, they'd probably say that he was a little weird, a little crazy, because what this guy did was spend his time out in the wilderness preaching the same old tired message over and over and over. It was almost like he was a record stuck in this one little, one little tune. Here was John the Baptist's message. There is one who's coming who is greater than I. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his message. But surprisingly enough, this singular message was drawing crowds. It started to attract people. And he had people who would come out to the wilderness just to listen to him. And when he spoke, there was conviction. And they would actually move into the water and he would baptize them. And so there was a, there was a move of God in his life. But relatively speaking, it would be rather insignificant, right? Here's the thing. John the Baptist is who we ought to strive to live like. Now, obviously, we want to imitate Christ Jesus, but if there's another person that we would want to imitate, it would be John the Baptist. Why? Because he understood his identity. Where do you find your identity? Well, chances are you find your identity in all the wrong places. Chances are you might try to find your identity in what you do. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm a student. I'm an athlete, I'm a singer, I'm a musician, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a preacher. We try to find our identity in that, and in, 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 in so we, we find our meaning, our significance, the core of who we are based on what we do or based on 
our status and on what we have. Well, I have a nice car. I have a big house. I don't live in the big house. I have a big house. Big difference. I, I have a, a, a nice family. I wear good clothes. You see, all these things that we, we, we place our identity in, all these things that we allow to define who we are, here's the truth of the matter. When we put our identity in anything other than Jesus Christ, we are placing our identity in something that is temporary and will fail and will leave us without any foundation at all. Amen? That's the place that is a dangerous place. Because if you have your identity in what you do, then what happens when you can no longer do what you do? You have no more identity. Do you know that the rate of suicide for uh, men is rather high, especially around the time of them no longer having a job? Because they, they no longer have a reason to live. I mean, after all, I was a salesman. Now I'm just retired. I'd kind of like to be just retired, maybe. That kind of sounds nice. I don't know. But, but the, do, do you know the number of athletes who go into substance abuse and go into depression and whose lives just tank, just spiral down because they're no longer an athlete, because their body gives out or because their contract changes or something or another happens. And imagine this, they go from being a star where everybody worships the ground they walk on to being a person that is simply another person. And if their identity is, is in what they did, they are now lost and hopeless. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it shouldn't be that way. The way it should be is that you find your identity in something that is infinite, or rather someone that is infinite, not someone or something that is temporary. In John chapter 1, verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. I, I told this joke at First Baptist, and I don't think they got it at all, but maybe you'll appreciate it. In my mind, is there anybody else in this room who thinks this way? When I read this, it says, I am not the Christ. Think he's doing the Jedi mind trick? I am not the Christ. Nobody, you, these are not the George you're looking. Come on, really? Nobody else thought that. Can I just get one person who would lie and tell me I'm not weird? I mean, that, but that's, that, thank you. Thank you so much. Who? Um, so, but that's the thing. The interesting thing about this is these, um, these religious Jews were sent to John the Baptist to ask the question, what is your identity? Who are you? Think about that. They were sent to John the Baptist to say, who are you? Now, what they were really saying was, are you the Christ? Are you the one that we're supposed to be expecting? Because after all, his life had, had started to, to, make, uh, to, to look like maybe he had some power that was different than what normal people would have had power to do. And when they asked this question, it was weird when I read this several times because I'm thinking, that doesn't make sense. Why is it so redundant? But then it did make sense because it says that he was emphatically denying Listen to verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Christ. That is a way for the Greek language to say that this wasn't just a no. This was a heck no. 
No, 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 no. Absolutely, unequivocally, no. He was, he was denying this because he didn't want them to be in any way confused as to who he really was. Why? Because who he really was was a nobody pointing people to the somebody that changes eternity. He wanted to make absolutely certain that people knew that his identity was wrapped up, not in himself, but his identity was wrapped up in the God that he served and in the Christ who he proclaimed. And so they actually pushed a little further in verse 21. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? His answer, no, I am not. Well, are you a prophet or are you the prophet? And he answered, no, I am not. And finally they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Why or what do you say about yourself? And that is the question for you and for me. What do you say about yourself? Now, I imagine that there are two ditches on either side of this question. The one ditch is the answer of, oh, I'll tell you who I am. I am the greatest that ever lived, right? Now, obviously, nobody would say, well, maybe so, but obviously, most of us in this room would not say that, but some of us might have an opinion of ourselves more highly than we ought to, and usually, that opinion is based on performance. I'm really good at this, and therefore, I feel good about myself. I think highly of myself. I enjoy the accolades and I enjoy the words of, of, of affirmation. And so even though we put on this, this, this attitude or this outward um, picture of humility, inside our heart could possibly be very prideful and very aware of how wonderful and awesome we really are. It could be a number of things. I'm the best friend that ever lived. I'm the best singer that ever lived. I'm the best uh, preacher that ever lived. I'm the best studier that ever lived. I'm the best whatever, whatever, whatever. But in our heart, that can actually be the case. On the other side of the road is this ditch that says, I'm a nobody. I'm a dirty, rotten slime ball. I'm a scoundrel. I'm awful. I'm not even worth the dirt that I walk on. And this complete debasement of who you are. And when you look in the mirror, maybe it even makes you absolutely physically sick. And you think to yourself, man, I don't even deserve to have another breath. Can I tell you that both of them are wrong? See, your identity is not in what you do or how you perform, what you have, what you don't have, what's been done to you, what you're doing currently. Your identity is that you were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. You were made by Him and for Him and through Him you are held together. So you and I need to neither be prideful or humiliated. We need to be confident and firm in the fact that Jesus Christ knows us and yet loves us and has called us and has sent us to be who he created us to be. Amen? That's the truth. So John the Baptist had every right to say, I am the greatest preacher alive in this moment. 
because he would have been. I mean, he would have been. When he preached in the wilderness, the crowds had started to flock. Now, by our standards, it wasn't millions on TV, but by their standards, he would have been something else. And when he spoke, people listened, and there was conviction, and there was movement. That's why they said, uh, you know, uh, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? What they were saying was, there's something unique happening. There's something of God that is happening. And so... He had the right to say that, and yet he didn't. He also had the right to say, I'm a homeless beggar. I don't have proper clothes. I don't have a proper crowd. I don't have a a, a proper title. I'm just just a vagabond. I'm I'm a bum. And yet neither one of those was his position. What was his position? He said, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. Your identity needs to rest firmly in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, you become the righteousness of God. That means that you're not a beggar. And that means that you're not a star. You are just one person that God is inside and moving in and through to accomplish his purpose. And to to, to help us understand this even more, it came out when John the Baptist was asked um, in John chapter 3, there was, there was confusion because Jesus was getting more crowds than John the Baptist. People were kind of leaving John the Baptist camp to go listen to Jesus. He was, he, was, he was becoming more popular, and, and the disciples were in this, this conversation of going, hey, is this okay? And here was John's answer. He said, I am only here for him. I, I, I'm only doing what I'm doing so that he can do what he does. My whole goal in life is to make Jesus famous and make me nobody. That should be your goal in life. Should be my goal in life to make Jesus famous and us be remembered no more. I've told you this quote before, but a, a, an old uh, preacher by the name of Zinzendorf, Count Zinzendorf, one of the best. That's great, isn't it? Zinzendorf. Who, who's going to name their kid Zinzendorf? I am Zinzendorf. Oh, it sounds like a movie line, right? Here's what he said, though. The best quote I think I've ever heard uh, that anybody could possibly say, or at least it's one of the best. He said, His goal in life is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Wow. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Isn't it strange how we live our life the complete opposite of that sometimes? On both extremes. Isn't it strange how... The more influence we get, the more we love the influence and the more we relish the praise and the more we become tied to people's opinions and the more we start to pat ourselves on the back or we condemn ourselves based on the reviews. By the way, if you ever write a book, do not read the reviews. That's a true story. Because if you read the reviews on what you wrote, you will be absolutely crushed by what people say because they're brutal. You know why you would write a book? At least for me, I would write a book because Jesus called me to do it. 
I would write a book, I would send it out, and I would say, blah, la 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 la. Because success to you and to me with our identity in Christ Jesus is the fact that we were faithful to do what God called us to do. Once we're faithful to do what God calls us to do, nothing else is expected. Nothing else is needed. But have you noticed how we live and die on people's opinions of us? No, I mean, maybe not you. But those other people, right? You ever notice how we live and die based on whether or not somebody likes our post or doesn't like our post? Whether somebody says, good job, or that wasn't so good? You ever notice how easily our emotions can move from very excited, very happy, to very depressed and very discouraged based on, again, our performance rather than our faithfulness? John the Baptist was asked a very Real question. Who are you then? What is your identity? And his answer was simply, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I exist to simply point people to the one who can know and heal and change everything about your life. If I've helped you, Praise God. If you don't like me, I'm sorry. But I've just got to be faithful to what God calls me to do. Amen? So here's where the rubber meets the road. In your life, God has called you to do something. But he's first called you to be something. Who we are. And what we do are not interchangeable. Listen to that. Who we are and what we do are not interchangeable. Because who we are exists apart from what we do. We get this thing backwards. We confuse it. We spend all of our lives on what we do. But we never really figure out who we are. Amen? When we figure out who we are, who we are will inform us, okay, this is how God wants, to exp- God wants us to express who we are through what we do. But they're separate. They're not the same. Your identity is in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. In Colossians, it tells us that we are now hidden in Christ with God. That's what that means. We're hidden in Christ with God. It means that we enjoy people's praises for what we do, but they're not necessary for us to keep on going. Now, sometimes this is harder for some than others because some people are lean more on the emotional side and they, and they need to hear that. Other people are, are less, less needy of that, but they still need it. But the goal is for you to realize that pleasing Jesus is the point. So let me ask you a question. Who are you? Who are you? If you were to, if you were to be asked that question right now and you were to speak honestly, not, not theoretically, but honestly, if your answer was, this is who I think I am, what would that answer be? Honestly, most of us would probably... Tell us 
or, or say what we do. I am a mother. I am a businessman. I am a, uh, a, a podiatrist. You know, whatever. No, that's not who you are. It's what you do. You are a child of the Most High God. You are adopted into His family. You were created to know Him, to have an intimacy with Him that is independent of anything else you do. And because you are His child, there are certain rights and privileges and responsibilities. But because you are a child of the King of all kings, you now walk boldly and firmly and confidently wherever He leads you. And life is good when that happens in your life. It's good. Some of you are struggling so hard because you've got this thing backwards. You haven't realized who you are. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. When, when John the Baptist said, I must become less and he must become more, what he was saying was, I, I, just, I just want my life to fade out of existence. Whether they ever remember anything I said, whether they remember my name or not, it doesn't really matter as long as Jesus Christ is praised. So don't, don't think I'm, this is not a self-help. This is not some uh, 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 prosperity gospel. No. When I talk about your identity, understand that your identity is in Christ Jesus. And he, he, you see that and you understand that and you live that not for your glory, but for his glory. And so everything that follows after that, you say, okay, I'm going to do this because it brings Jesus glory. I'm going to do that because it brings Jesus glory. Um, next week, I'm going to share with you uh, kind of a vision that I've had for us, and I believe a calling for us to reach a thousand souls for Jesus. Do you think that's possible? Would you like to see it? Would you like to see a thousand people have a renewed relationship or a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ? I'd like to see that. But the thing is, God doesn't need us for that to happen. I mean, God does whatever he wants, right? But God chooses always to use his people for his glory. That's just the way he works. And so next week, I'm going to share with, uh, with you kind of a, a, a blueprint of what I believe God has, has been uh, leading me to lead you in um, to see a thousand people come to know Jesus. And it is a little bit overwhelming if you don't understand who your identity is or what your identity is. It's overwhelming, overwhelming because you might think, man, that's a lot, that's impossible, whatever, whatever. But if you understand that in Christ Jesus, you have everything you need for your piece of this puzzle, then you'll take the next step and you'll be okay with it. And it'll be an adventure. It'll be a journey. At least one person's excited, right? Kelly, has your life been kind of cool here lately? Did you ever think that you'd see this day? Never did. You ought to talk to Kelly. 
Just ask her to share. She's not shy about it. And you know what? Some of y'all right now are feeling jealous. You're jealous because, well, how come God won't do that in my life? Believe me when I tell you, that happens through a lot of pain. It's when we die to ourselves and allow Jesus to start living through us. It's not easy. It's not fast. But it's worth it. So, um... I'm going to ask you this week to ask God to help you see the picture next Sunday morning. I'm, ask, I'm asking you to ask God, Lord, help me to catch the vision to see a thousand people know Jesus. And you know what? The hardest part about any move of God is making sure that we don't receive any credit for it. Making sure that we don't receive any glory for it. You want to know what happens when man steals God's glory? God shuts it down. He said, you know what? I'm not in the business of sharing my glory. Why? Because we can't save anybody. Only Jesus can. But this week, I'm going to ask you, wrestle with your own identity. Maybe you don't even believe what I've said this morning. Maybe, maybe you can't say like John, he must become greater, I must become smaller. At least be honest about it. At least be honest about it. You know, uh, every preacher deals with this. I, I say this a lot, but it's because it's, it's my world. It's what I know. Every preacher deals with um, his own ego. Bigger the crowd, the more praise, the harder it is to become smaller. It's the same with anybody else. It's the same with an athlete. It's the same with uh, a person who is success in business and people start calling for advice and it's very easy to become the expert that everybody wants to hear from and suddenly you no longer have a humble heart but your ego is bigger than Texas. And that's big. You ever driven through there? It's big. But you know what? I think it's possible to honor Jesus even when the praise comes by constantly remembering who you were before God did something marvelous through you. You know that? I am, uh, I am often thankful that God did not give me wild success in ministry when I was young. I really am. Because knowing my own personality, I probably would have enjoyed it a little too much. And I probably would have done like so many have done. And that little bit of success pushes them off of a cliff, either into some moral failure or some kind of public scandal that just embarrasses the name of Jesus. I'm not casting condemnation. I'm just saying that's a reality for a lot of people who find fame and success without recognizing their true identity. And I guess in a way I could say this. I believe God is going to do something marvelous in us and in our, in our midst and through us. I really do. And I believe that these whole last several months and maybe even several years, God has been preparing the heart and preparing the soil so that God remains the focus and the hero and he remains the, the one who receives all the glory and not us. That is what I believe God is doing. I want to invite you to join me. I want to invite you to join me. Take a moment now, if you will, just ask God, God, where is my heart in this? Do I consider myself 
more highly than I should? Or have I totally have I totally gone the opposite direction? Does my own heart condemn me when it shouldn't? Father, I pray that in this room you would do a work of the heart. I pray that you would help us to be tired enough of our own success. I pray that you'd help us to be aware enough of our own failures. And I pray that you would cause us to lay down our own ego and our own ambitions and our own pride and our own desires and allow you to fill us with what you want. God, may our prayer truly be, you must increase and I must decrease. Father, may we not worry about who gets the credit. May we not strive for people to recognize our face. God, I pray that we would have a heart that only cares about one thing, that Jesus Christ be made great in our eyes. Lord, I know that in this room, this struggle is real for all of us. Father, I pray that you would insert your heart into ours. I pray that you would renew us. Give us a fresh understanding of your power and your goodness and your strength. Father, I pray that whenever we gather together, that when we worship, our songs will be an expression of a deep-rooted faith, of a humble yet strong belief in who you are. God, I pray that as you open up the doors of your kingdom and as you start to draw men and women and children and, and young adults and teenagers to faith in you, God, I pray that we would be in amazement and we would never forget that only you could do this. And Father, when the lights get so bright on us, I pray that you would, you would give us a quiet heart to move out of the light so that only you will shine. Father, I confess, I don't know how all this works. I don't know how, I, I don't know how we deal with a, a mighty move from you. But I trust that you will walk us and you will guide us through whatever you choose to do. And so, Father, let this attitude and, and, and spirit of expectation just come alive inside of our hearts. And I pray, Jesus, that, that your name would be made great in Gulf Breeze and in Pensacola and anywhere else your message might go out. And Lord, together as your church, we pray these things. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Storypoint Church at storypointchurch.com.